Good morning. You know what? It's, it's good to worship our Savior, isn't it? Uh, I just, I really look forward uh, each Sunday, no matter who's leading worship, just to come together as a church and sing praises to our Savior. And, and I, I don't know, I, I, if you ask my family, they would say that I like Christmas a lot. I like this time of year. I like Advent. I like meditating and thinking on the, mirac- the miraculous, the miracle that the creator of all, the Lord of creation, humbled himself and was born in a stable and laid in a manger. Such humble, humble beginnings from glory, where there's nothing greater. And his humility always, always amazes me. And, and so when we come and sing, you know, I admit that I'm biased, okay? I also realize that, you know, anything that is ever accomplished within our church that brings glory to Christ is 100% fueled by grace. And that is what we've been learning in Ephesians, isn't it? That God's grace saves us, it keeps us. We are his workmanship, we're created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. And that being said, I just want to say how thankful I am to be part of a church which loudly and reverently sings praises to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I wanted to thank you for that and commend you and and continue on with that. Uh, We are a church that I'm thankful for that we sing like we're saved. We sing like those who are rescued. And uh, I just thank you, Heavenly Father, for working within us and within our church. And it's his glory, it's your glory we seek, amen. So let's start today uh, by reading our passage from God's Word. And I'm going to have you stand. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll read our full section, even though we're going to spend our time on on uh, on the end of this chapter. In verse 11, let's start. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the divining wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. Lost my place. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Please be seated. 
You know, the book of Ephesians is just rich, rich in doctrine, rich in who we are in Christ. And, and I love, and you're going to hear me say this week after week, but I love how Paul laid this out. The first three chapters, who we are in Christ, our position in Christ, all that God has done for us. And then when he moves into chapter four, five, and six on how we're to live, it's our practice, how we practice the Christian life because of all that God has done for us. And I'll say it again, grace is the fuel of our practice. Grace is the fuel of the works that we do. If we went first, and and again, I think you've heard me say this, I grew up sometimes in a church that went right to the practice. They were oftentimes quick to tell me how my practice was failing. And I didn't understand that it was grace that propelled the works that God wants us to do. And so you would kind of go crazy. I got to be better. I got to be better. I got to be better. I got to try harder. I got to try harder. Any of you ever been on that treadmill? That's what it feels like. But then when our eyes are open to the grace of God, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, it's, it's freedom. It's freeing. And we see for the first time, because of grace, we can and we will do what God wants us to do. But grace comes first. Salvation comes first. We will never, ever work our way to a proper standing with God without grace. It is grace alone. And so, as we looked at that in the first part of chapter 2, we saw that as individuals that we were dead in our sins, we were walking as children of wrath, but God, rich in mercy, saved us. And for by grace we have been saved. And then last week we focused on two points. First, who we were as Gentiles. Well, who were we as Gentiles? We were separated from Christ, alienated from his people, Israel, strangers to the promises of redemption in the Messiah. We were without hope and without God in this world. This is horrifying, isn't it? What a horrific state and place to be in. And look, if you're without Jesus Christ today, you are in a horrific situation. Please do not let a moment go by without running to the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Cry out to him. He will be your savior. And I pray for you today that you will leave your position of horror and you will be one who says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I mean, look at the adjectives used to describe the life of early Gentiles. Unclean, separated, alienated, strangers, hopeless, and godless. I don't know about you. That's not where I want to be. And that's what we saw last week. And we saw another thing last week, though, secondly. We saw another but God statement. In verse 13, it says this. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love the book of Ephesians because I'll tell you what. It sure does an awesome job showing us that God is a God who saves. Brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, we see this. He, Jesus, is our peace. 
Jesus is the unifier. Jesus brought unity to both Jew and Gentile. He made us one. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility. Through Christ's fulfillment of the law, he has created one new man in place of the two, making peace. What a message we have. Peace with God for all mankind through Jesus Christ. And so we preach peace with God through Christ. And when we see the scripture saying that God so loved the world, we mean it. He loves the world. All nations, all nationalities, all tribes and tongues. So we know that the gospel brings peace with God, but we also know this, that the gospel brings peace to one another. Look at verse 18. For through Jesus Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is amazing. I mean, look what God has done. Without Christ, the nations rage in war, don't they? And we wage in war with each other. You ever have a neighborhood fight? You know, we say, oh man, the nations are, are in a fight. Have your cat go to the bathroom on your neighbor's lawn one too many times. Let me know how that works in your neighborhood. Oh man, the next thing you know, it'll be all over Facebook. Darren will start getting phone calls. I'm calling the sheriff. I ate that cat. That will happen. We wage war. We're quick to wage war without Christ. Wars based on ethnic differences, religious differences, nationalism, hatred of others, distrust of others. If you're different, we're at war. Now, we may not say I'm going to blows or anything like that, but we, I don't know if I trust you. There's not a peace, but peace comes with Christ. Without Christ, there is no peace on earth. I wish our leaders would remember that and know that and embrace that. This world needs Jesus Christ. I mean, have we seen that so clear in the tragedies of sinful man in the past months and weeks? And really, until the Lord comes, we talked about this a few weeks ago, this will continue. But we pray, Lord, come quickly and make it right. Christ is the only way that people will have lasting unity because he brings peace he is the center and the unifier. He is the conqueror of hostility and division. The cross makes us one in Christ. And so today I want to finish up in Ephesians 2. And I want to focus on what would be our third point if we continue on from last week. And that is this. Who are we now? Who we are in Christ and here's who we are. In Christ, we are citizens and members of the household of God. Let's read verses 19 through 22 again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, verse 18, right before that, sets up the transition into where we're at today. For through Christ, through him, we both, all people, have access in one Spirit to the Father. We have access. We have access to Christ. 
we have access through Christ to the Father in one spirit. Any of you ever felt like a VIP? Any of you ever had a situation where you had all access pass? Maybe something special. Maybe a field pass to a, to a baseball game or a field pass to a football game. And you're like, hey, I feel pretty special. Well, I've had an all-access pass before and, and felt like a VIP. I don't know if you can see this, but this says American Idol. <laughs> March 10th, 2009. And it's got a nice little... Hologram, I guess, you know, or like changes, which can mesmerize someone like me, so I better be careful. <laughs> I'm still a youth pastor at heart, right? It was pretty cool, I, I have to admit it, to have an all-access pass. Emily and I felt like a VIP. Back when uh, Emily was eight years old, she and I would hang out and watch a few TV shows together, and she's always really liked uh, singing and such as you can see on Sunday mornings. And, and at that time, we really enjoyed American Idol. And uh, so we're sitting in the back, and, and we're hanging out. And again, she was eight. Now she doesn't really want to snuggle with Dad and hold his hand anymore, which that's a whole other story, but it makes me sad. <laughs> Sorry, my wife is giving me the look. But we were back there, and I got on Facebook, and I just typed in, having a great evening tonight watching American Idol with Emily. Well... I am a blessed individual. I have friends who have powerful positions. Um, I have a friend who at one point was like third under Oprah, like a personal assistant to Oprah. No opinions on Oprah. It's just, but Oprah is a pretty big deal if you really look at it. And uh, she had moved. Now she, she runs Habitat for Humanity down in Southern California, but her best friend was the executive producer for American Idol. And I get this private message on there and says, hey, uh, if you want to go sometime to a taping, I can probably set that up. Are you interested? Yes. <laughs> and then got a phone call on a, uh, on a Monday and said, okay, it's tomorrow. Can you go? Whoa. And it was the opening night. And we're like, oh, yeah, we'll go. Well, we expected just to go in and enjoy the taping. But the next thing you know, the executive producer goes, I'm super busy. Sorry I didn't get to meet you. We're seeing all kinds of celebrities. Here, here's your badge. Wear this. We go in, and we're sitting there, and Ryan Seacrest's guests are right next to us. I shake Simon's hand. You know, it, it, it's kind of fun. And I see the chef who's always grumpy, uh, Ramsey or something like that. And, and, like, this is cool. But then at the end, they're like, okay, we want to get you in the back. You want to meet the, the contestants. And so we met Danny Goki and some others and took pictures. And Emily has a picture with Randy Jackson. And I know I'm going too far, but it was a special time. And, and in a sense, I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, I felt like, see, I'm a, I'm a big deal. You're just watching this. I'm VIP. I have access. I have access to the back. I have access to the contestants. I get to shake Simon's hand. Now, I know, big deal, right? In an earthly way, it kind of is. But it is nothing compared to the fact that we have access to God through Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, I was excited about this. I'm Facebooking it, I'm taking pictures, I'm enjoying being with celebrities who really at the end are just people. But we have access to God through Christ. You are VIPs in the kingdom of God. 
You are important because we're bought with the blood of Christ. We are precious. Let the truth that we have access in one spirit to God the Father, let that rumble within you till we go home to be with the Lord. Let that be a part of our celebrations of Advent, of Christ's coming. And because of this, because we have access, here's who we are today. We are no longer aliens. We are no longer strangers. But we are now, today, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're citizens and saints. We belong to God. We belong with God. We are members of his household. We are citizens of his kingdom. No longer strangers, no longer refugees. We now have citizenship. Philippians 3.20, we know the verse, right? But our citizenship is in heaven. In Christ, his people are full access citizens. There's no second class only full members of God's kingdom. God rules over all. And here, when we speak of the kingdom, it refers to where God has special rule and special relationship with and over his people. Where God is enjoyed as our king and his people obey and submit to his ways and his plan. We submit to his sovereignty. And yes, we are waiting for our king to return and set up the full realization of this. We cannot wait to be part visually in the presence of God and in his kingdom, right? But we are in his kingdom today, but we haven't full realization of it yet, right? But it does not change the fact that today we are in God's kingdom. And you know, today we're, as Americans, we're citizens of a privileged nation. We have, the full, we have full blessings of freedom. Yes, it's changing, but I would challenge you to go visit elsewhere in the world, and we are still so, so blessed but yet, even our American citizenship, which we love, and we're nationalistic, and we, God bless America, and I agree, pray for our country. But still, it is nothing compared to being part of the bigger kingdom of God, where it's everyone, his people. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Remember last week I talked about China, and I realized not getting to this point, my opening illustration was probably a little bit different, but I talked about China feeling vulnerable, feeling out of place, feeling anxious. When you travel in a foreign country, you keep your visa and you keep your passport on you at all times, ready to show it. You really don't know what your rights fully are. I remember we traveled with a lieutenant colonel in the army, and that was kind of fun. And uh, he's now retired. One time we were this is for free. I'm off, the, I'm off the track here, but I can't help it. We're traveling through there, and you just see it, and, and I go, what are you thinking? And I won't use his name, because I don't want to, just, I won't. And he goes, it'd be hard, but we could take him. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good to know. And, and he had spent some time in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he kept asking our guides, is there an evil eye here? Do you guys know what that means? Sometimes you can like do something, like blink wrong, hit your, pull on your ear, whatever, and they're like, and in, in some cultures, you just cursed them. 
And he was scared to death of that. He goes, because we wanted to be good guests. He goes, I don't want to do anything that's going to offend anybody. What's the evil eye here? And I'm just laughing at him. I'm like, what, what do you mean the evil eye? Sound like a movie or something. But no, but we worried. You're not comfortable outside of your culture. In God's kingdom, be comfortable because Christ has gave you standing before the Father. And we are equal citizens. We have peace in the citizenship of our king. In Christ, we belong. We're not vulnerable. Nothing will separate us. We belong. And we are part of a kingdom that will have no end. This is eternal citizenship. Christ's kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and he is our eternal king. And there is no other kingdom that can state that. Name a great king. I'm thinking of Nebuchadnezzar. Done. Over. Long gone. There is not a king alive who compares with Jesus Christ. And we have eternal citizenship in his kingdom. So we are citizens and we're members of God's family. And look how we, this moves from citizenship in a, in a kingdom, which is awesome. And it's something, it's going to move though to something equally awesome. And that's this. We're members of a family. First Timothy th- 1 Timothy 3.15 says, Paul says, we are God's household. So we're part of a family. Think about the church in Ephesus reading this for the first time. We're a family? And what does it say? We both have access. Jew and Gentile. Now, In the citizenship, I could see, I'm just going to put myself in their position. I could see myself going, yeah, Jew and Gentile, we can handle it being part of the same country. We'll we'll make it work. Christ is our king. We can do this. But here, Paul says, oh no, we're a family, both Jew and Gentile. Now, I could see a skeptic saying something like this. "Uh Uh-huh, a family. Jew and Gentile together. I'd like, to be a, uh, I'd like to be a spectator at that Thanksgiving dinner. Wonder how that will work. Two different cultures, now a family. I can understand a kingdom of Jews and Gentiles, but a kingdom of many national, nationalities and peoples as a family? I don't know. How does that work? I mean, how can we all be one family? How does that work? Here's how this works. We have the same Father. And we have the same Savior. Unity, regardless of background, regardless of race, regardless of anything in our past, Christ brings unity and he makes us a family. We are the family of God. You are my brothers and sisters. And it matters not. Heritage, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile. We have the same father in and through Jesus Christ. We are adopted children. We saw that a few weeks ago. So we are brothers and sisters. And I know how our family works. Sometimes it works well and sometimes it's it's a little off. But in our family, we have roles, right? I'm the father. Karen is the mother. Karen's my wife. I'm her husband. Our children. We'd like them to do a little bit more. But they do some things. 
We're working on it. But they have a role. And we work together and our family, dare I say it, functions to a point. Don't judge me. But we, <laughs> but we work together. And see, and that's the illustration. This is what God is saying about us as a church. We are a family where we all have different roles. But we all have this goal as we fulfill our roles. And that is to bring glory to God. To bring glory to the Father. And we are told in the scriptures to treat one another as family. Look at 1 Timothy 5. It's a great passage. First Timothy chapter five, look at verse one. Do not rebuke an older man, but, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers. Older women like mothers. Younger women like sisters in all purity. The family of God is real, and we are to treat one another as family. Christ's church is made up of adopted sons and daughters. You see, the church is a household. We're called a household of faith. It's not a building. The church is not a club. The church is not an event to be attended. We do not gather as a club or a venue for entertainment. It's not a destination to be visited every once in a while. The church is God's family, and Christ is head of the church. So please, we must see the church as part of our identity in Christ. Understand that we have roles and responsibilities to serve Christ by serving one another. We see that we are citizens, we're members of God's family, and it says this, that we are stones in God's temple. You know, at the time this was written, for about a thousand years, the temple in Jerusalem was the center of Israel. From Solomon to Zerubbabel to Herod, there was the temple. Now there's, what, a little bit of a wall left. But the temple was something else. Read about it. Read about how Solomon took care. Read how David longed to have the temple built. But now in Christ, we have a new temple, a new dwelling of God. And what is it? It's made up of us. The new temple is made up of God's people. And it says in our text, it is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. You see in verse 20, says this, that the foundation of this temple is God's word. See, the apostles and prophets were teachers, and Paul is placing a real strong emphasis on their teaching. He's saying this is the foundation. Now, I believe that Paul is speaking of New Testament teachers, New Testament prophets, the apostles who proclaim the truth of the gospel. So this is the truth, the proclamation spoken by the apostles and prophets. And why do I think it's New Testament? It's because in our context, it is speaking of the old, Israel, and Gentiles, separate. But now it's talking about being made one in Christ, right? 
So that's why I believe that we're speaking here of a New Testament situation. Now, even if not, is there a, continu- uh, is there a continuity of Old Testament prophets proclaiming that Christ is coming? Absolutely. So does it negate anything? No, but I really believe that Paul here is saying, look, we are built upon the foundation of the word of God that is taught within the church. And this is important. This should not be forgotten. The church is not built upon man. The church is not ever, ever built upon any man. It's built upon the foundation of the word of God. That's why we see in the early church, in Acts 2.42, the church, the people of God, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the word of God. The church has to, and it must, stand alone on the word of God. We, we stray from the word of God, and we are in trouble. Because it's only when you stand on the word of God that you'll stand on Christ. It is no accident that we'll, and we'll study this in a few weeks, that Jesus Christ is called what? One of his names is the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When you stand on the word of God, you stand on Jesus Christ. And as a church, we have to do this because he is the cornerstone. You know, in a former life, I, I sold floor covering. Um, and, uh, I am not a very good installer of things. I'm not a craftsman in any way, shape, or form. But when you, uh, when you install laminate, how many of you know what like Pergo is? Laminate flooring, you kind of click it together. You Thank you, Ed, I know you know. I appreciate your hand going up. And uh, now, if you just went there and you did not measure your room and snap a straight line and you said, I'm going to trust my wall is perfect. And you say, let's just put that on the wall. And you start clicking it together. What, I guarantee you what will happen is if you're off just an inch, half an inch, a little bit, and it's not laid straight and true, when you get to that other wall, you're going to be looking at a board going, I think I need to cut it diagonal this way, and we'll glue it together, and no one will notice. And they will notice. It'll be off. When we choose Christ not to be the cornerstone of our foundation, the foundation of the word of God, if Christ is not our cornerstone, we will not be straight and true as a church. He is the cornerstone. And so we are all built upon Christ. We stand on Christ alone. He is our cornerstone. There is only one cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes the building, the corporate building, the church, possible. Without Christ, there is no church. There is only a club, a gathering, an Elks Lodge. Might have its place. That's great. But don't call it a church without Christ. It's just a club. We are here for him because he has saved us. The community of believers is built on Jesus He keeps us properly aligned. I love that in Romans 9, it says, trust in the cornerstone. Trust in Christ, and you will not be put to shame. That's awesome. See, unity in the church only comes through Christ. Growth and maturity comes from Christ. Worship comes from Christ. I'm going to say it again. 
Who is the cornerstone? Jesus Christ. And he says this, it's in Christ that the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also, Jew and Gentile, all of us, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, look at verse 4. And you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Is Christ precious to you? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. You see this? Let's not be a church disobedient to the word or we will stumble. We stand on the word of God because we are being put together as stones in God's temple, a dwelling place for God in one spirit. So do you see who we are? Do you see what Grace Bible Church is? Does it amaze you? By the grace of God, with Christ as our cornerstone, we are a dwelling place for God by the spirit. God is here. God is among us. He is with us. And we are living stones. You see, as a believer comes to Christ, they join in. They become a stone in the building. Placed in his church. We're precious building blocks God is using to build his temple. Imagine a Gentile hearing this for the first time. If we look at our context in Ephesians. Previously, there was a wall to keep them out. The temple is not for you. Stay away. And now in Christ, you are the temple. God is with you. God dwells within you and within us as a congregation. You are added to the building. Once it was, you're out. Keep away. Today, you are it. Amazing. It is in Christ that this occurs. It is in Christ that we become a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see how central Christ is in our passage? Think of the magnificent temples man has built. Here in Ephesus, there was a temple, the temple of Artemis. So they would read this and go, oh, yeah, that's a pretty nice looking place. There's still runes, right? Of the different temples from uh, the Roman times. Jerusalem had Herod's temple. But through Christ and by the Spirit, there's a better temple made up of every nation 
Every tribe, every tongue joined together and built together. We are all related to each other in a special way through Christ. We are growing together in Christ. So how does this practically work in our little church here in Hollister? Really, how does this work? Here's how. Can I tell you? You are part of Christ's church for a purpose. You count. Your giftedness matters. We need your time. We need your talents. We need your treasures. We need your love for one another. We need your resources, your gifts, your encouragement. We need your wisdom. We need one another. We need each other's insights. We need your godly rebukes. We need reproof from one another. We need to live the Christian life together. We need to be centered in Christ and rooted and grounded in the word of God. And as God's people and as God's dwelling, we, re, we must remember that Christ is the center of all that we do. It's all about Jesus Christ. As God's people together and as individuals, we need to proclaim the greatness of salvation through Jesus Christ. We do this for the glory of Christ. As a church, let's continue to pray that God would be gracious to us and allow us to have a picture of Christ's church within our church here in Hollister. I love our congregation and how wonderful it would be to continue to add worshipers, as we already do, who worship together despite nationality, tribe, or tongue. We should be a melting pot of God's kingdom. What a picture of heaven where we're all together and we know each other as brother and sister in Christ. Nothing else. Also this, did you know that the New Testament assumes that each believer is part of a local church? You never see the Lone Ranger Christian in the New Testament. It doesn't happen. It's not found in Scripture. You see, Scripture is full of callings. We're called to serve one another. How do we serve one another if we're not with one another? It is not good to be apart from community. You see, I need oversight from my fellow elders. I need their rebukes. I need, them, I need their correction. When Steve and Jeff say I'm off, I'm off. I won't question it. They're seeing it, and I will go, okay, guys, I appreciate it. And sometimes, yeah, I'll admit, I'll go, eh, I think you're seeing it wrong. But two guys who I trust and love, who love God and love his word, they tell me I'm off, I'm off. I need them. See, we must humbly be people who accept the wisdom and rebuke from one another. Now, we do that godly, right? We do that for the glory of Christ. We don't do that to be right. We don't do that to win. We do it for God's glory because it's his church. We need shepherds. We need accountability. We need support from each other. You see the book of Acts, do you see it? They counted people. Hey, 3,000 souls were saved at Pentecost. They counted. They wanted to know why. They're part of the church. They were the part that we then see who devoted themselves to prayer, to teaching, to fellowship. We must be a part of one another. See, the church is always described as stones in a temple, members of a family, citizens of a kingdom, members of a body, 
Brothers and sisters, it always assumes individuals are part of an actual church. It never says, Ron's on an island. The lone believer, doing great things for God with no one else around. But he feels good. And he's not bothered. And he doesn't have to put up with all the weirdos, myself included. We need each other. I think we need, guys, I'm learning this. Can I just, I share my heart. Church is hard. Really, really hard. And there are times I would like to be nowhere else but on an island, away from it. We've been through trials. We've been misunderstood, misrepresented, even slandered. Jesus is worth it, but it's hard. Really, really hard. But I'm learning in this passage shook me to the core that I need you and I need the church. And I don't know, sometimes I go, God, in my humanness, why did you do it this way? Why is the church your program? I want to be alone with my family. They trust me. They know me. They know my heart. They don't judge my motives. And maybe one other person. But guys, sometimes we just sit here and go, not again. Here come the rocks. And it's hard. But this passage showed me something. It is a gift. And it's God's grace that allows us to be joined together and to be joined to one another in Christ. And so it's awesome. And we step out in faith that despite what we, got, what we go through, despite what happens, despite the questions, despite what happens, Jesus Christ is head of the church. And we love one another. So it is a blessing to have a family of faith. And so let's step out in faith and enjoy the family. It's a gift to have brothers and sisters that we love and serve with, that we serve each other, we love each other. It's a gift to have people who encourage you and for you to encourage. It is a gift and a blessing of grace to have a privilege of giving our time and money for the advancement of the gospel. It is a blessing, it is a privilege to stand shoulder to shoulder with one another for God's message of salvation to go out to Hollister and the world. It is a gift, a gracious gift to be taught and admonished by one another. It's a blessing to grow with one another. It's a blessing to be kind to one another, to worship together with one another, and to forgive one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. That is what we do. It's what we must do. It's what we have to do, even when it is so, so hard and tremendously difficult. Don't quit the church. And I've wanted to. And I won't. Because it's God's. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we worship together. We have the blessing of being a part of the body of Christ. We have the blessings of citizenship. 
We have the blessings of being part of the family of God. And it came to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. He brought us near. He has made us one. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And to Christ alone belongs all glory within the church for now and forever. Amen.